Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. It is the fourth Sunday in Lent, and our series for the season of Lent going into Holy Week is called Rethinking Religion. You can read more about it uh, on the Foundation tab at wellscongregationalservices.net. Uh, I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. Our two preachers for this series are Pastor John Scharf from Abiding Grace in Covington, Georgia, and Pastor Phil Hebner from Wisconsin Lutheran High School in Milwaukee. And with us also today, Pastor Tom Cuck from Atonement Lutheran Church in Milwaukee. So, John, Phil, Tom, great to be with you all. Um, Phil, let's start with you. Could you comment on the theme for this week in the Rethinking Religion series? Would be glad to. Uh, you mentioned well that we're in the series called Rethinking Religion, and uh, we are marching our way closer and closer week by week on the intense journey with Jesus um, to Calvary and to the cross. So we've rethought um, tests and trials and suffering and the worth of worship. And now in this fourth Sunday in Lent, we're going to rethink the solution to sin. Every single person on the planet has some kind of solution to sin. Some try to ignore it and harden their hearts or consciences. Others find some kind of works or law-based way. If I just do this, if I make up for it this way, um, and they come up with their own solutions, we're going to rethink that. And of course, we're going to listen to, to Christ kind of indirectly, but focus on an Old Testament lesson from Numbers 21, and to think about the solution which is not in ourselves, but the solution to our sin is in the Lord, and specifically in his promise, Christ the Messiah, Jesus our Savior. Yeah, thank you. John, could we get a refresher quickly on uh, the other two readings for the day? Um, as Phil mentioned, we'll be looking at the first reading. Um, could you just remind us of what the gospel and the second reading are maybe two of the more famous parts of the, the Bible yeah. this week and the other readings. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And and they they tie so tightly together. Um, just a, a beautiful connection as they overlap. So in the gospel, Jesus uses our uh, lesson, uh, this, this first reading, to help Nicodemus understand how salvation works, right? He uses the picture of, of them looking up just as uh, those who looked up and lived, um, looked up at the snake and lived uh, today, we who look up to our Savior, the one who would be lifted up. Uh, it's through faith in the promise that that God has attached to what Jesus has done. It was through faith that those uh, Old Testament Israelites um, were rescued from the, the bite of the, the serpents. Um, he says that's how our salvation works. Um God gave his son so that whoever believes, whoever looks up, lives. Um, in the second reading, Paul so famously highlighting our salvation by grace through faith. We were dead like the people bitten by the deadly snakes. God made us alive by grace um, through faith, not from yourselves, gift of God, not by works. I mean, just these, these very familiar texts that that all highlight that that same idea. It, it's those who look up, uh, who, who look to their Savior in faith. That, that have rescue, that have salvation. Yeah, so rethinking um, so a solution to sin. Um, we get this in all three readings so clearly. Tom, let's go to you then. Could you get us started on our text discussion, Numbers 21, 4 through 9? Could you share some observations about the text that might be helpful to preachers? 
you really do have to begin on this one by by catching the context. And verse four reminds us of it, where it's we're, we're told that they had to travel from Mount Hor by the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. Why was that? Well, God had brought the Israelites up to Kadesh Barnea again, which was actually about where they had been when the 12 spies went into the land of Egypt, or land of Egypt, <laughs> the land of Israel earlier. Um, and they had then approached, gone a little bit to the east, and they wanted to pass through the land of Edom. And they promised to stay on the king's highway, and they would pay for anything they ate or drank, et cetera, et cetera. And Edom said, no way. And so because of that, they had to travel way to the south down to what's modern day Elat. And then they had to travel way to the east to get to the east side of the land of Edom and travel north and then travel back again west to get to the north of the Dead Sea across from Jericho, where God intended to bring them into the land this time. Um, that doesn't sound like much to us, maybe at first glance, but this is a huge detour. And remember, these people are walking Oh, it's as if I were going to go from here in Milwaukee, where I'm living currently, down to Atlanta, Georgia, where John is living currently. And But I was told, but to get there, you're going to have to take a detour through New York City. Um, my goodness, and the, the amount of travel that's going to add, I've overemphasized it. It wasn't nearly that long. But when you're walking, it had to feel at least that long. And so you can... Kind of understand why it was that the people were getting impatient but at the same time the door is about to open up to the promised land god had promised them that they were going to wander for 40 years and that 40 years is about up and so if they simply stay focused on that promise of god and say hey okay we've got to go around edom is what it is no worries within a within a few weeks couple of months we're going to be into the promised land. This is going to be great. There would have been none of this complaining. It just wouldn't have been. To get so so just but understanding the huge detour is helpful for us um, as we try to get into their mindset a little bit as why they were complaining. And that is hard, harsh country to travel through by any means, particularly to walk through it. Wow, that'd have been tough. Um couple of other things from the Hebrew quickly. There are just a lot of call verbs in here. So God is recording for us the facts. These are the things that happened. And for us to just know that is, is helpful because our faith, thank God, is fact-based. We believe in a Jesus who really died, who really rose. And because of that, we believe we really have the forgiveness of sins. And that differentiates us from every other religion that's out there. And so seeing all those call, this is what happened verbs, maybe reminds us of that uh, very cool truth. It's also really interesting to hear how the people in the text refer to the manna. We detest this miserable food, uh, is the way the NIV translates it. That's a good translation, um, captures the Hebrew rather nicely. Can you imagine? Um they were looking at the manna from heaven, which God was giving them every single day, six days a week, double on Friday, so they had enough for the Sabbath day. He'd fed them with it for years. The word that's translated worthless can also mean uh, useless. Um, so to describe the manna as useless, this has kept them alive for 40 years. Wow. Um, 
And yet, don't I see myself in that? How often I take the blessings of God and instead of thanking God for them, thanking God for his provision, I'm complaining, bellyaching about what I don't have or leftovers again, seriously. Uh, man, I just miss out so much or I missed the boat so much, so much like these uh, these Israelites did. Allah, one more Hebrew detail. The Hebrew word for snake is nakash, and it sounds really, really similar to the Hebrew word for bronze, and uh, nakosh. So it sounds really similar, and so there's some speculation as to whether the snakes themselves had a bronze color. Was it some sort of a adder or something like that um finally we won't know till we get to heaven put it on your bucket list of questions you want to ask, get answered when you get to heaven um but there was some sort of a connecting point there and um what is god's solution to sin make an image of what's causing the problem or god's answer to death make an image of what's causing the problem and you can't help for us New Testament believers in the light of John 3, thinking God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That there on the cross, Jesus, all the sins of the world, put on him. And God says, that's who you look at, and you'll be healed. You'll live. Wow. Good news, Grace. All right, I'll stop there. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Tom. So, um What's intriguing to me about this this narrative is that it's it's like a real experience of sin and grace. I mean, you know, horrible judgment on sin. Well, first of all, I mean, kind of a crass example of sin, and then judgment on sin, but then mercy and salvation uh, in light of that sin too. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking for preachers. I look back at the last time I preached on this text, and I kind of just walk through the story, and because it's just. Uh, sin and grace experience that in some ways we can identify with too. But let's let's go back to kind of the, the first part of the, the text. Um, Tom, I think you included some thoughts in your comments on what we'd call a malady or the, the sin problem, the, the ridiculousness of the complaining. Um, Phil, John, any further comments on uh, on that portion of the text or how you would apply it to listeners now? I think that, uh, you know, we we can see ourselves in them so very clearly. Life doesn't go like I would choose to go. I think we should go straight through Edom. I, I think that's the way to go. It doesn't go that way. And then, and then you know, the that complaining mindset. And notice, they don't just complain about having to walk longer. Uh, all of a sudden, everything is awful, right? You know, the... Uh, um, oh, the the manna, this amazing blessing uh, is is this horrible thing, and the you know the the provision and protection and what God has been doing for them, uh, you know it's it's not just okay this one thing that set me off, but Satan uses that and gets gets it flowing and um, and then you know God makes another odd uh, uh, solution to that right, uh, sending snakes. Thank you, Lord, for that grace. Um, it was because it caused them to turn to him. And we, we see things happening in our life, I guess, is the point that I'm making that, that we totally misread uh, both the, the initial problem and sometimes God's uh, God's help for us. Uh, and, and it's, it's when we, when we look and one thing I, 
in in the text study that I noted that that word you know hibit so navat uh, the uh, um, it's more than just seeing it's it's paying attention to it's uh, uh, the the same word that uh, um, you know Lot's wife was told not to do that to Sodom and Gomorrah you know that that uh, look with with um, uh, that regard uh, and and when when we look to Jesus and actually see Jesus. Uh, when we see what God's doing in our blessings, it's uh, uh, it, it's a, a transformative thing. But you asked me to talk about the malady, so I, I went a little too far on that. But, <laughs> That's uh, all right. Quite all right. Uh, Phil, some further comments? Yeah, I'll just agree with what the brothers are saying here. Again, the easy identification for how we um, sin in, in much the same ways. Maybe two things I want to um, highlight is the slippery slope, which was kind of mentioned, uh, that you start with the, the bad circumstance or the bad situation. I mean, it wasn't even that bad per se. They were going to the promised land, as Tom mentioned. Uh, it was just tough. Uh, but that led to complaining. And you have, um, you know, the interesting phrases there um, uh, about how, you know, they, they were slow, their soul, the soul of the people was, you know, being impatient. And our soul detests this bread. So, you know, this tough situation became a spiritual thing that, again, we're identifying with. But then the slippery slope, how that escalated um, to complaining about God. They spoke against God and against Moses and how you know, they just kept going right down that slope so fast. Um, Satan wants to lead us deeper and deeper. Uh, another aspect, though, I want to mention um, that maybe we haven't yet is just how quickly you can fall off the bandwagon. Uh, the one piece of context that I don't think I heard Tom mention was right immediately before this, the, the first couple of verses of chapter 21, where they made a vow to God. Uh, if you deliver these people, we're going to totally, you know, commit everything, destroy like that whole burnt offering kind of a thing. Like we're all in it with you and God gave them this victory. And then like happens so often, they they fall um, right off the wagon here. Um, it happened time and time again for them, and it happens time and time again for us. So, you know, maybe this is where we make the connection to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, where this story is specifically mentioned, right? And just one verse that many were bit by ven venomous snakes, uh, that these things happened also as lessons for us to learn, that we should learn from what they did and, and uh, not fall into that same trap, though we do uh, by God's strength that we keep fighting that we don't. Yeah, uh, see, Tom. Yeah, one one other thought on Malady. I love everything both you guys said. Um, one other one that strikes me on this one is the short sightedness aspect, and they are within such a short time of getting into the promised land. And uh, why should any of this become a big deal to them? Because of that short sightedness, in in my opinion, I think is one of those simple maladies that you, that that you see here. Oh, how often that isn't the case for you and me, huh? Our time here on this earth is oh so short, and uh, heaven is going to be oh so glorious. And how easy it is for us to uh, to lose sight of that, to get so caught up in the here and now, the right now, the what's right in front of my face, that I lose sight of the glories that are to come. And so I, I think that can be a fun way for a pastor mm -hmm. to get at this text is the. The, the, the short night short-sightedness of us believers or us human beings but con contrast it with the glories of heaven which will last forever and which may start today right right john 
Yeah, and I was just going to piggyback onto what Phil had said about that that context there. Um, the thing that we see so often, they had just had the success, right? Look, we did the right thing. Uh, it, it went well, um, which ca- when that happens for us, sometimes we, we uh, well, I expect the next thing to go well. Look, God, I obeyed. So now next thing should be great. Um, and, and God, God may have a, a better idea for me. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, right. When things go wrong, it causes us yeah, just to lose sight of things don't, don't go the way we think they should go. It causes us to lose sight of all the blessings. Uh, as Tom mentioned before, um, it's just kind of remarkable. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt? Well, let's stop there for a minute. Um, it's because the Egyptians were committing genocide and enslaving you <laughs> and God rescued you. Um, there's no bread uh, except for the miracle bread that comes down six days a week. There's no water except the water that God has pouring out of a rock. Yeah. And the miserable food, uh, same thing. So, um, all the blessings just vanish kind of from the consciousness of the Israelites when things start going wrong, all the, the good things, yeah, that had just happened, the commitment, um, Right. So I think a lot of points of connection, sadly, between the Israelites and us in a lot of ways. Um, well, then let's kind of turn to the, the gospel. Uh, we mentioned it a couple minutes ago already, um, but let's talk about that a little more. Um, how do you preach this? Do you kind of uh, tell the story of the Israelites, the bronze snake, and then go to John 3? Or uh, how do you approach it? Uh, Phil? Um, I want to just start with thinking about the, the immediate context. And, you know, our theme for the day is rethinking the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, snakes were obviously common to them in Egypt, in the Middle East. And I'm sure there were lots of solutions um, on how to handle snake bites, how to handle snakes, you know, maybe homemade remedies or however they tried to extract venom or, you know, who knows what else. Um, but you think of like, the most obnoxious thing possible that God says, Hey, look at this bronze thing. Like who would ever solve a snake bite that way? Right. And, and so in a similar way, our opinion legis has all kinds of ways to treat sin and to solve it. Um, mm-hmm. As we kind of mentioned in the preview for the day, um, things I do, or if I just do enough penance or pay or put in my time or, you know, you name it. And God comes up with the most obnoxious thing that absolutely makes zero sense. A, I don't have to do anything. And B, this this guy, this God on a cross dying, that it just makes zero sense. And so this is kind of the aspect, I think, of faith that we see in um, the Ephesians 2 and John 3 readings, right? Um, the, the good news of the gospel, which is all God done. And is so contrary to the opinion legis inside of us all and what we might think of a solution. God's solution is so much better and yet also so much more simple to just put our trust and faith in what God's going to do. So that that kind of stood out to me, um, yeah. the, the contrast of solutions in their immediate context. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, Tom? Yeah, and I, I'll just piggyback right on what you're saying, Phil, agree completely. And the emphasis, another slight emphasis too, is that this has to be all God, only God. I mean, you look at this and who, who do you think, well, how do you think the first guy felt after this who got bit 
and said, all right, I'm going to look at that bronze snake in the middle of the camp. <laughs> do, you, do you think there was a lot of confidence there when he first did? I mean, I obviously have no idea, uh, but God did the work because that's the only way it can work is if God does the work, which like Phil, you said so well, so totally contrary to our opinion legacy. And yet the good news aspect, God did the work. And just like this worked for the Israelites, so Jesus works. What he did works. It's all God. It's only God. And it works, even though it may sound crazy to us. Right, right. John? And I think we don't want to miss the couple of modern day, uh, very clear examples of something similar where God works in something that shouldn't work. Uh, right. Someone is a sinner and, and they need a relationship with God here. Water. Wait, no, that's not what that's for. Um, but God says uh, this is this is what baptism does. This baptism saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. Uh, and, and in the Lord's Supper, uh, you know, a little snack at the end of service. No, uh, this is uh, this is my body. This is my blood for you, for the forgiveness of sins. Um, what? Our, our mind says, our, our logic says, and, and God says, yeah, this is it. And and we look to it and receive such amazing blessing from it. You know, like like Tom was talking about, the first guy who who looked at that that uh, bronze snake and all of a sudden he's healed when previously everybody had been dying. Um, wow. Uh, and and as we walk away from the table uh, with the, the joy of forgiveness and the, the comfort of that connection with Christ and our fellow believers, um, unexplainable uh, except that it's God's promise yeah it um and with the Lord's Supper too you could say this is like the bronze snake a reminder of death too what do we receive it's Jesus body his blood which he gave up for us poured out for us um related to that I found this Luther quote and I apologize to preachers I don't know the reference for it um but I had written it down this is to uh, the point Phil was emphasizing on how odd this was that the solution to the problem is a version of the problem hoisted up on a pole. Um, Martin Luther imagines the Israelites' reaction to this. Uh, Moses, have you lost your senses? How are we to be helped by looking at this bronze serpent, which looks like those that bit us? We're so terrified that we can not stand the sight of them. If only you would instead give us a, a drink, a cooling plaster, a cooling drink to take away the venom and the fever. What good can mere words and looking do? How can that dead and lifeless object up there benefit us? Uh, and that's a great way to get into, I think, the dead and lifeless body of Jesus lifted up. Um, that is God's solution for sin. So, uh, yeah, and uh, John, I, I think I made that point when I preached on this too, uh, pointing to yeah the cross, uh, the water of baptism, the bread and wine of Holy Communion. Why would we think these things would do anything? It's because when God attaches his promise of grace to something, um, he can bring life out of death, right? So uh, yeah, further thoughts, uh, Phil? Yeah, just to build off of that, you know, I mean, obviously God could have fixed this situation any way he wanted, 
he could have just spoken words and the venom would disappear or just say, I'll take care of it. And then magically they're better. And the same is true with our sin. Um, but that there's a, a physicality, a, a fleshiness, a, a real something tangible attached to salvation, not only for our sin, but also in this particular story. Um, or maybe to say it this way, you know, like in, using the Greek pistoio, you're not just believing, you're putting your faith in something or you're looking to something, you know. So there's a very real tangible thing here. It's not God just waving a magical wand and venom goes away, but you're looking to the snake. You're, you know, you're putting your faith in that thing, that object, which again is such a good parallel as we've been talking about for the last couple of minutes here, that there are real tangible things that we look to, that we see that God is doing for us, um, you know, to kind of grasp the cost, the price, the reality uh, of this all and what God is doing for us. So I don't know, I guess maybe I'm just trying to further extend the the parallel here that we have in the gospel um, of, of how God chose a specific method for a specific reason. Yeah, great examples of that. Anything further in terms of uh, illustrations, applications maybe, or uh, further thoughts? I know we've included a lot already in the course of our discussion, but um, uh, anything more that you wanted to say as preachers kind of connect this to the lives of their listeners? Um the one that one that has stood out to me is, uh, yeah, uh, this could have been um, could have been done in any number of ways by God, uh, but this is the way He chose to do it, and it's all about Him, and you know, focuses on Him and His work. Yet, it, when you think about it, it, isn't you know, looking at the snake lifted up. I mean, it's not the looking that heals them. It's not even the snake. It's really the promise of grace attached. Uh, to these things, right? Um, yeah, anything uh, further on that? How about theme ideas or um, ways to kind of bring this together? Um, things you're working with, John? Yeah, I was thinking about uh, using that, that I, you know, so theme being an unlikely solution, uh, part one for our complaints, a problem, and part two for our problem, faith. Um, and you can kind of walk through that, uh, the unlikeliness of it all. Uh, mm -hmm. First of all, how we react to things when we don't like God's way and then, uh, and how God deals with that and, and how he dealt with it once and for all. Um, great, great. Um, I was thinking of something like um, death lifted up equals life something like that. And that's an easy bridge to John 321, um, or not 321, 317, right? Uh, Tom? I tend to be very simple, but keep looking up. Keep looking up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right. And focusing eye, our eyes away from ourselves to God and his solution to sin, his grace, Jesus on the cross, right? Yeah. Real simple phrase like that. Uh, yeah, excellent thoughts. Uh, such, as I mentioned before, clear sin and grace pattern in this text, law gospel that our, our listeners can experience, I think, uh, right along with the Israelites as we preach. And then uh, thanks to Jesus for making that beautiful connection in John 3, too. Tom? Uh, I, one of the things I appreciated in, in reading the text was the clarity of the Israelites' repentance. Uh there isn't that often where the Israelites' repentance is painted in such 
honest um, terms. Now, obviously, we can't read hearts, but you know, we sinned against God and against you. Uh, but it's interesting that there is a switch. It went from uh, Baalohim that they spoke against God, and it's Adonai. Uh, the second time that it's the, the the God of free and faithful grace is the the switch in their confession of sin. Is that a little hint towards that it's a fully repentant heart? I don't want to read too much into it, but I think there's a little bit of a hint there as to that being the case. But the, the good news for us that God takes this stuff that comes into our lives and he also leads us to real repentance. Yeah. We really do see, wow, Lord, I, I blew it. I blew it again. Um, and oh, how much I need your saving grace. Please take the snake away from me. Uh, by the way, do you guys notice that it's singular? They, they don't ask that, they, they, that Moses pray to God to take the snakes plural away but take the snake mm. and again i don't know that i want to read too much into it but is there a little bit of uh echo of genesis 3 um you know that all of our problems all of our sin problems ultimately stem from the snake that, yeah. that that's where all of this got started again i've not made too much of it but i think it's an interesting little hebrew detail that certainly didn't have to be that way yeah, right, right. Uh, Phil? Um, just as everyone was talking here, I was thinking a lot about the last verse and the end of it. Um, and maybe it would tie into a theme I would think about, you know, look and live. Um, you know, that there's life, of course, salvation, but then there's life after that, you know, a new spiritual life. Um, that they moved on from this event and they kept living. And, you know, maybe there's a tie-in to Ephesians chapter two there about how we were dead in sin. Um, God made us alive, right? There's a spiritual thing, um, not by works that no one can boast, but what's the last verse there? Verse 10, we are God's craftsmanship, his handiwork with works of service prepared in advance for us to do, you know? Um, so we have a new life. We've been revived from the venom of sin, but then we go on living. We go on the journey on the way to the promised land. Um, and there's there's more to do and more to work and to glorify that God who has uh, given us spiritual life, but then ultimately eternal life. And in the meantime, we glorify him with our worldly life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so thoughts related to yeah, re repentance, forgiveness, and uh, living in, in light of that. Um, all right. Well, any final thoughts? Uh, if not... Uh, We'll wrap up for today and turn things over to preachers. Um, God bless you, preachers, as you proclaim this uh, strange but uh, wonderful solution to sin that God has given us in the one lifted up for our salvation.